grace, mercy, and peace to you from our risen Lord. And in his name, who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you ever feel like you are stuck in a moment of time? Not in a good way. And this is more than just being stuck in a classroom with a teacher that keeps droning on and on. But those moments of time that we get stuck in, kind of like a last-second shot by your favorite team where it just bonks off the back of the rim. A player like that can get stuck in a moment of time remembering that shot that almost went in. When will that thought end? Sometimes memories can revisit you. Maybe a grief that you've gone through keeps returning. Maybe there's a pain to that memory that always seems to resurface. A feeling of guilt about what should have happened. A feeling of anger about what did happen. A feeling of fear that it might happen again. A feeling of regret, wishing it never had. There are times we talk about wishing to go back. We call it reminiscing. We think about going back to the good old days when our nation was something better, something different, something greater. Or we think about younger days when we were more independent, healthier, we could be more productive. Or we think about happier days when the kids were little and the problems were little. Or our own childhood days when we were innocent and we all we needed to worry about was when it was time to play and when it was time to eat and when it was time to go to bed. Or maybe when we think about times when we didn't have to wear masks. We think back on life and the past, and sometimes those things can stick with us, our own sins, other people's sins against us, or sin in general, loss, death, can really stick with us and get us stuck in the past, wishing things were different, to the point where sometimes we can even think, why didn't God make things different? Why didn't he do it differently? Why doesn't he do it differently now? That's what virtually everyone was thinking about when Lazarus died. (coughs) Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, a brother of some of Jesus' best friends, Mary and Martha. They were all from that family in Bethany. And Jesus was close with all of them. And they wondered, if only Jesus had gotten there sooner, things could have been different. First, the disciples receive word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is ill. When Jesus hears these words, he delays on purpose. He doesn't go right away. He waits. In fact, he gets there four days late after Lazarus has died. On purpose. 
When Martha comes out to meet him, Lazarus' sister, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus calls for Mary, the other sister, and she comes out to Jesus. And she tells Jesus, if you had been here sooner, my brother would not have died. And even the crowds are joining in saying, he was able to open the eyes of the blind. Could he not save the one he loved? Jesus had indeed proven himself that he was the Messiah, that he had the power to save those who were sick. John records a series of six miracles up to this point. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus healed a man whose son was sick without ever needing to even go to the house. He healed another man who was paralyzed and lame for 38 years. He fed a crowd of over 5,000 from five loaves and two fish. He walked on water during a great storm, and he healed a blind man who was blind from birth. A series of six signs that publicly demonstrated that Jesus could do anything. When they see all these signs, they wonder, why would he not do it for his friend, Lazarus? It's at times like this when we get stuck in questions, wondering if only this or if only that were different. Could he not help us? Could he not spare us the loss? Could he not deliver us from the pain? And the present moment lingers. The remembrance, the regret, the revisiting. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's guilt. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he says for us today. That's what he says for us always to remember. I am the resurrection and the life. That phrase, I am, is a statement we've been going through in our midweek series, looking at the different times that Jesus has said that phrase, I am. I am is the name of the most high God in the Old Testament. We learn in the story of Moses and the burning bush how God visited Moses to save the children of Israel. And he told Moses to go to the children of Israel and tell them, I am has sent you. He uses that name, I am who I am. The name Yehovah in the Old Testament reminds us of something we need to learn about Jesus too. That the Lord is both timeless and present in the moment. The name I am is a divine, special name of God, which means he's the beginning and the end of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's beyond time. He's beyond eternity. He's beyond this universe. He sees all things at once. He is. Yet it also teaches us that he is now. He's here now. I am means that he is here now, even in the midst of moments of death and loss and suffering. To the children of Israel, this means he is there for them in their suffering. That he is going to do something and he's going to do it in the perfect timing. He is both timeless beyond all time and yet he's present right there in the moment of what they're going through. And his covenant will not be broken. When he speaks, 
He binds himself to his own truth, and his word will never fail. And so Jesus has to tell Martha this. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is challenging us. Do you know who I am? Jesus is the incarnate God. He's not just another preacher or a rabbi telling us and reminding us that the resurrection is coming. He's not just trying to comfort Martha on the future truth that her brother will rise. But rather, he is standing right in front of her, the resurrection itself. He is the intersection of time and eternity. Which means that he is not late. His timing is perfect. As an elderly pastor, as an elderly pastor's wife once told me when I was vicaring, and I visited her in the nursing home, she just kept saying, the Almighty makes no mistakes. She was 100 years old. And whether you're 100 or you're young, whether you die an old death, or you die a young death, whether you lose someone from sickness or to old age, Jesus will always have the perfect timing so that we can respond to him and say, yes, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is the intersection of time and eternity. Some of the Israelites had forgotten this as they were going through the trial, wandering through the wilderness, going through the suffering. They had forgotten the name of the Lord, and they regretted it. They regretted the choice of going. They regretted the choice of trusting, and they wanted to go back. They had forgotten that God himself is the life, and there is no other life. So Jesus says both, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Meaning two things are true. Not only is he the resurrection, which is an eternal truth, that at the end of time there will be a resurrection into eternity, but he is also the life now. So he is both the eternal truth of God and then also the present life in the moments we go through, the moments we get stuck in, the moments that are painful. And he proves it right here. As he goes to Lazarus's tomb, the Bible says that he was deeply moved, grieved within himself. And it describes a painful grief that Jesus felt to the point that the word almost is describing anger. Jesus is angry at death. Jesus is angry at death and he weeps over it. He will not stand idly by while the enemy torments us with death and the thoughts of death and the thoughts of suffering and getting old and dying. 
And the way he does this is that Jesus himself has to die. When Jesus himself dies, they say the same words. He saved others. Could he not save himself? Because to their appearances and the way of thinking, Jesus is not really capable of doing everything he said. He really doesn't have the perfect timing. He's really not in control. And they looked upon the cross and could not see who Jesus really is. But his timing was perfect. And in the fullness of time, God accomplished exactly what he was going to do, just as he does in every one of our lives. It was the intersection of our moments, our sins, our thoughts, our memories, that were all nailed to the cross. An eternal moment of hell itself was nailed to the cross in Jesus. And God was eternally satisfied. In the perfect timing, Jesus said in three days he would rise. And he rose just as he said he would in three days and showed himself to his disciples that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. He shows his hands, his feet, his side, that even though he is eternal, he's also present for them in a very real way in their daily lives. This means that in every circumstance, even the loss of someone you love who believes in Jesus, he is there to give you life. This is his resurrection. This is about him, and it's not about Lazarus. He is the resurrection, and that's the first thing Martha has to learn. He's not just telling you about a future life. He's telling you about life right now. Not just something that's coming, but something that is. Because you see, too many people are alive, but they're not really living. We can be alive and yet dying. In fact, physically, we're always dying. We're going to get sick, we're going to get sicker. We're always dying. We're deteriorating, not improving. But what we're talking about is being alive spiritually. You can be alive and yet dying spiritually, and death that death can overpower you to hold you stuck in moments that you wish you could get out of. But Jesus says that life is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. This is the true life. And he says whoever believes in him, literally believes into him, has passed from death into life already. He uses the preposition into, describing our faith in him as something that doesn't just put our thoughts about him, but puts our thoughts into him. Martha says, I believe into you, Lord. Just as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 about baptism, when he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so our baptism has put us into something new, life, into death and into resurrection. 
Baptism brings you out of those regrets and moments and put a pain and depression into eternity, into life, into joy, into the endlessness of God's unchanging I am statements. Jesus says, move the stone. And they say, but Lord, the smell. Jesus says, move the stone. Yes, Lord. And those eternal words cannot be undone when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. If you would believe, Jesus says, you would see the glory of God, that he is the resurrection of the life, not just because Lazarus walked out, not just because he was unbound, not just because he was alive again, but because Jesus rose, because he is alive, because he has ascended in a high, because he is with us now and in eternity, and nothing can change that. If you would believe, I am. Amen.